Live with Ryan Reese from Southern California. This is Live with Ryan Reese. Call now, 1-888-564-6173. Or post your questions using the hashtag LiveRyanReese on his Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Right, we got Brett Kunkel in studio, and he's been on the show. I don't know, man. Has it been like a year? It's been about a year since I've been on. Yeah, Maybe but those are bomb shows. You talked about uh, transgender. Uh, you talked about uh, technology. Those shows that we actually we've re-aired them several times hmm. because they were so banging. So it's awesome to actually have you back in studio. It's great to be back. What the heck you been doing? <laughs> too much. Life, I think life in the 21st century is way too busy. But uh, we've been doing some good work through our organization, Maven. Yep. Uh, doing stuff with young people, doing stuff with uh, adults. Uh, we got our Maven conference coming up in Orange County, California. In What's the date? February, February 28th and 29th. Lucas, put that on the calendar. <clears throat> I'm there. Yeah, mavenconferences.com. I can get all the information. Where's it going to be? It's going to be at uh, Calvary Church of Santa Ana. Okay. Yeah, kind of Tustin area. Yep. And uh, we, our theme is navigating a world of screens. It's technology. It's yes. like how do we, uh, how do we help the church? How do we help parents, adults, young people think about the nature of technology, what it's doing to us, and then how do we, uh, how do we live with this stuff? And how do we not just throw it all out? But right. how do we say, hey? Here's the stuff we have to be careful of. Here's the stuff where it can be really harmful. But then here's the stuff that technology can do that's amazing, that can you know spread the gospel, that can create beauty, that can help people's lives, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we got a great lineup of speakers. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's not – you can't just get rid of it and say no to everything because that's the world that we're living in. We have to know the goods yeah. and the bads. Yeah, and that's – see, that's where I think a lot of times the church and Christians – are known for their knee-jerk reaction, right? Something yeah. pops up and it's like, oh, that's bad, and we just dismiss the whole thing. Yeah. And I think this is, and this is where actually having a really good theology is important. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I think a lot of people in the church n- don't necessarily like that word theology or it doesn't appeal to them, mm-hmm. but our theo- theology, I mean, define it. It's just the study of God. Yeah. And uh, it, there's actually no more important study than the study of God, really. To know really. who he is. You know, to know <laughs> yeah. who he is, to know his character, yeah. to know who we are in light of who he is. Yep. And so when you start with your theology, it actually helps you then to figure out how to live with all of this stuff. And so we know, like, for instance, that in light of God and who he is, who we are, we are made in his image. So that means we're actually capable of amazing things. We are uh, co-creators or sub-creators under the great creator, and we have, we're made in his image, so we have creative abilities, and we can create all kinds of amazing, beautiful, wonderful things. And that's, that's a good part, and technology is a reflection of that. So, I mean, you think about this amazing technology we're using, like a smartphone. Yeah. It actually reflects the great creator, you know, the, the, the God who has made us in his image. Now, the other side of that is knowing that not only are we made in God's image— but we're also fallen. Our human nature right. is fallen and sinful, and so there is going to be corruption. There's going to be some bad stuff that we have to navigate. Yep. And so it's taking both of those pieces of the Christian worldview and saying, all right, how does this now apply really to every single area of life? That is dope. Now, a question for you. Where, um, how can people find more information yeah. on you? And, so, and watch some of these videos or even book you out for this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our website is maventruth.com, mm-hmm. uh, maventruth.com. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. You can just okay. look up uh, Maven or yeah. Maven Truth. 
uh, is kind of the, the truth is so vital. So we put yeah. that, you yeah. know. Um, they can find us on social media. Uh, okay. They can find me at Brett Kunkel. Um, I want you guys to connect and get on that YouTube channel because this is the real deal. I've known him for a while. I've been to the conferences. I've seen him. I actually want to get you uh, at the church to even do a live event. We're going we're gonna to work on locking that down uh, today. So what do you want to talk about today? I know you. I, every time you come in, you come in with different subjects. I'm always excited, waiting. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I've been talking to a lot of young people this last year, just traveling, speaking, um, doing a lot of work with my home church in, in young people's lives. And I think there's this, one of the things that I keep coming across mm-hmm. uh, is the issue of doubt, right? And doubt, unbelief, uncertainty, how, how do we... How do we navigate that, and how do we help other people navigate that? Because mm-hmm. I think there are you know, people who are listening now who themselves have major doubt. Or uh, and maybe they, they would consider themselves a Christian. They put their trust in, in Jesus, but they're just, they struggle with like doubting and, and, uh, and wondering about God and, and, uh, and maybe questioning Him. And then there's, there's other, pe- other people out there who maybe have been moving toward God, but they, they haven't put their trust in Him yet because they have these doubts that are preventing them from fully you know, trusting God and believing so Him. So what are these doubts? Is it in the Scriptures? Is it, what, what, what are they doubting? Do they not believe that He's, he's real or yeah. the Bible's well, not real? Or what, what, what are the major, like what's the common doubt with these youngsters? Well, I think, um, I actually think there are three main categories of doubts. Yeah. And I think when we think in terms of these different categories, it will help maybe to put the whole picture together. Yeah. Because I think a lot of doubt is often expressed first in some kind of intellectual way. Okay. Right. So there's some kind of skepticism. Yeah. It's like, well, there's no there's no evidence for God, or right. or they bring up tough questions. If God is good, yeah. if God is all powerful, why why is there evil and suffering? Or historical problems with the Bible. Oh, the Bible's been copied over and over for right. 2,000 years. I mean, come on. It's written by a bunch of men. You know, these kind of kind of classical challenges to the faith. And so oftentimes doubt gets expressed that way. And, uh, and I think those kind of challenges are an Im- important uh, category of doubt that have to be addressed. Uh, but I would say this is the category of intellectual doubt. So specifically, what's driving the doubt and unbelief are intellectual questions. Now, if you think, now step back for a second and think about the human person, right, and the human personality and the human soul. Mm-hmm. We are a, a makeup of different aspects, uh, different, they're, they're different aspects of the soul um, and the personality. So for, uh, three main aspects would be our intellect, right? We have a mind, mm-hmm. we can think, we can reason, we use logic, right? And, uh, we do that all the time. And, and, but we're not just intellectual beings. We also have an emotional, emotional side of us, mm-hmm. right? That, right. Uh, that where we feel things. We don't just think about things, yeah. but we feel things deeply, and that moves us, and that shapes us. Yep. And then we also have a what, we, what you might call volition, or another word for it is just w- willpower, Right? I have the will. I can make free choices. If I want to do this, I can exercise my will and do that. Right? Right. And so those are three really important aspects. And so the intellectual stuff is really important because we've we, we got to think about these things. In fact, uh, you know, things, 
need to make sense to us because, and this all goes back to being made in God's image. Part of being made in his image is we're rational beings, and we want to know, hey, how does the world fit together right. rationally? How does it make sense? Yeah. How is it coherent? How do, how do these pieces fit together? You know, it's kind of like the world's like all the different pieces of the world are these puzzle pieces, and what we're trying to do in life is fit those puzzle pieces together to make this full picture right. That just makes sense of everything. That's a good so, yeah, the il- the the intellectual stuff's really important. And um, now, and, and and I would say a lot of doubt is expressed first intellectually. Now, if it's true intellectual doubt, then what we got to do is we got to answer it intellectually. We got to we got to provide good answers. And what's amazing is that there's so many Christians out there. There's so many churches out there that don't know the resources, the rich, deep, smart, rational resources that the church has had for 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the, the great things, one of the great tools that the church has is what's called apologetics. And, uh, and we, you go back to the first century, you go back to the early church, and right away you have apologists, right? Now, what does that mean? Like, you know, it sounds like, well, you know, I'm, I'm saying sorry, I'm giving an apology. Yeah. Well, no, apology, the word apology goes back to the Greek word apologia, right? And so like in 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says that um, you and I are to always make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason that you put your hope in Jesus, right? For the, uh, uh, and, and that word defense is the word apologia. So mm-hmm. apologia. Uh, uh, Apologia, apologetics is making a defense for what of Christianity. Yeah, for, for, for Christianity, yeah. for um, what you believe, and, and it's, it's, a, it's the why. Yeah. Why do we believe this stuff? So a lot of people grow up in church hearing the what, like this is what you should believe, this is who God is, this is how you're supposed to live. But sadly, they never get the why. And so when you have a skeptical world who starts asking questions, they ask the why questions. Yeah, and no one's given them. Yeah, like... Yeah. I mean, one of the big ones I hear young people asking all the time is, well, why should I think the Bible's the Word of God? Like, I've been told all my life, oh, the Bible's the Word of God. And like older generations, they're like, amen, yeah, you know, and no questioning. But now these students are getting bombarded by questions, and they're, they're asking, why, why should I? Okay, you say it's the Word of God. But why? But why should I believe it? And it's not good enough because you tell me so. Yeah. You know, and so they they want they want some good reasons, and so we need to give those reasons. That's what the Bible commands us to do: give a reason for the hope that you have, a, an apologetic. So, what, what would you tell someone like that with that question? That particular question, well, I would say, um, number one, there's no silver bullet with a lot of these issues. Mm-hmm. So, there's not just one little answer. Yeah, of course, yeah. There's a, it's actually stronger than a silver bullet. It's uh, it, it's a cumulative case. It's like a shotgun. Mm-hmm. You know, there's multiple things. And I would say when you look at the uh, the Bible, when you say it's the Word of God, right? So this is a divine, divinely inspired book. Mm-hmm. Well, then uh, I think the way to think about it is maybe to say, okay, if it's if it's inspired by God, given to us by God, well, His fingerprints are going to be all over it then. And so it's a matter of looking for those fingerprints. And so some of those fingerprints, I think, are its historical reliability. Yeah. Right? Okay, if God is writing this book, he's going to get the history right. Yeah. And what we do yeah. find is that he's got the history right. Yeah. And archaeology, time and time again, confirms the details of the New Testament. Right? I mean, think they're, about they're, it. In Israel, they're using it to discover places. Yeah. That's what they've been using to discover all these 
spots. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and Israel's one huge archaeological dig <laughs> yeah. where they're finding things all the time that confirm the details of yeah. the Bible. And uh, and think about it, if because people say, well, the, the, the biblical writers, they were just they just want to make stuff up, right? Well, if that were the case, if you want to make stuff up, if you want to be a, a basically a liar, yeah, really uh, uh, to be a better liar, you you just you 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 just give things generally, right? You don't get specific, right? Because when you start naming people in places and things, guess what? We can check it out. Yep. In fact, that's the way I catch my kids in lies. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, my kid says something to me. I'm like, ah, it doesn't, that doesn't sound right. So I just start asking questions. Oh, who were you with? Oh, where'd you go? Oh, what time? You know, I just start getting the details. Uh-huh, yeah. And eventually, if they are lying, yeah. they're going to they're hang themselves right, yeah. with, the, with the details. Yep. And in the same way, hey, we yep. got all these details in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And so if these guys are making it up, well, we're not going to find anything. A great example, a great counterexample is the Book of Mormon. I was, dude, <laughs> I was just going to tell you about that because I saw like a documentary on about how they cannot find these places. Yeah. <laughs> the Book of Mormon has all these names, cities, uh, these things, coins, uh, you know, all these details, and we have zero nothing evidence for it. Like you can't go into – South America and find bountiful, you know, the city that allegedly, you know, uh, where these civilizations are. You can't find evidence of the Nephites or the Lamanites or all these, you know, details in the, the Book of Mormon. Bible, exact opposite. You know, it's funny is uh, there was because I've been going to Israel my whole life because I have family that, that grew up there. Uh, my cousins were born there and stuff. So I've seen the development of Israel and, you know, they're digging and everything. And there was a point when we first started going over there that they, they were saying, oh, Pontius Pilate, you know, he didn't exist, and, you know, there's no record of him. Well, when they were digging, I think, in Caesarea Philippi, I believe it, where, where it was at. Not, don't quote me because I, I can't remember all the locations, but it was where Paul was in prison. Um, it's right by the ocean, and uh, they have – they found like a – like, I don't know, like a – what do you call those things? Like a pillar that had Column. Pontius Pilate's name on it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. That just crushed that whole thing. Because oh, they were like, yeah. it's not real. The guy that tried Jesus Christ in the trial, the big story, he yeah. did, wasn't real. Well, that's oh, yeah. What, yeah, there's all kinds they, of stuff they, like they that. Found, they found a, actually a pillar with his name on it. Yeah. And so just take that, <laughs> yeah. th- that, that kind of stuff. That's just one aspect yeah, the, of oh. why, we, why we think this book is the Word of God. Yeah. You look at its, its preservation. Like you look at the manuscript evidence. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the skeptic says, oh, this has got all these errors. Well, well, we can look at the manuscripts because we have literally thousands upon thousands of manuscripts mm-hmm. of the New Testament, which far exceeds other ancient documents. Other books, yeah. And uh, we can reconstruct the New Testament uh, with great certainty. And, uh, you know, so that's another, just I think, the divine preservation, how God has preserved yeah. this thing. Uh, you look at, and you can look at other aspects like the evidence of changed lives. People who encounter this book and it radically turns their life around. I think that's a piece of evidence. You look at Jesus. If anyone respects Jesus, well, what did he say about this book? And in the New Testament, Jesus' view is that the, the, the Bible, that the Scripture is divinely inspired. You know? And so there's just on and on and on, there's all this kind of evidence that makes you uh, realize this book is unlike any other book. And you so, have to do your homework, though. You got to do your homework, yeah. It's like you can't judge a book by its cover, that old you know, saying. Yeah. You have to actually dig in and... Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. So that's uh, you know. So that's a, so that's a, a one. question of intellectual doubt. And okay. so whatever the questions are, the the, the church has its apologists who have been helping people answer these questions and realize 
hey, our faith is not a blind faith. Our faith is a reasonable faith. It's a rational faith. It's a logical faith. And, I, you know, I discovered this as a college student. I grew up in the church for the first 18 years of my life and was like that. I was that youth group kid, like mm-hmm. totally committed. I mean, I took school and sports and they were like second, third, fourth priority. God, youth group church was first priority. I, my junior year in high school, I committed my life to go into full-time ministry. I was like all in. And then I go my freshman year in college, and I take Philosophy 101, and I have a professor who's the PhD, right? Mm-hmm. He's the smart guy, supposedly, mm-hmm. and he just destroys my faith intellectually. He just, I mean, in class, out of class, he's just challenging me with all the stuff I had never heard before. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking about that experience going, I grew up in the church. I spent 18 years in the church. Why did I not hear about any of this and get prepared for any of this before I met the, the professor. And so what that did is that sent me on this serious episode of intellectual doubt. Mm-hmm. And apologetics helped rescue my faith. And, and if you read the New Testament, I think the New Testament uh, and Paul and Jesus make it very clear that Christianity has nothing to be afraid of. Like, we don't have to be afraid of the, the, the false ideas. In fact, uh, think about 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Paul says, in fact, he puts it in the language of warfare. He's like, we, are, we, do, we don't wage war like the world does. And he talks about the weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world, right? right. We're not talking about tanks and bombs and yeah. guns. No, he says, we demolish strongholds. Um, okay, what are those strongholds? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge mm. of God, and then we take captive every thought right. to make it obedient to Christ. So the intellect that's what will destroy. Yeah, the intellect yeah. is so important. Yeah. And so vital. And Paul doesn't say, oh, when you get these challenges, oh, well, just have faith. Or, <laughs> you know, oh, take, well, just don't talk to those people. Yeah. No, this is like aggressive. He's like, no, you know what? We can destroy, we destroy those them. arguments. Yes. We don't destroy people, right? Yeah. We destroy false ideas about With truth. God. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so we have this rich tradition in the church, uh, and they're a great apologist today. That, I mean, you can go on YouTube and find all kinds of resources for any question that, you know, you're struggling with. In fact, if someone's listening now, you know, say you're, you're struggling with the problem of evil and suffering, you just do a search on YouTube, problem of evil and suffering, and then use the word apologetics. Type in apologetics, and you'll find all kinds of apologetic resources to help you with your intellectual doubts. Right. So. That's a great resource, and it's at our fingertips. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's the thing, though. I don't think intellectual doubt is the, actually the main source of doubt. I, I do think it's the thing that we bring up, we, we usually bring it up first, because it's a little less threatening hmm. than the next two. Okay. Uh, and, and, because I think the next two require a little more honesty, and human beings in our fallen, sinful state are really good at hiding, you know, and hiding things. So the second source of doubt is what you might call emotional or psychological doubt, right? We are emotional beings. Um, in fact, I remember, so one of these unique trips that we do uh, at Maven with students yeah. are what we call immersive experiences. Yes, tell and we, me about that. Yeah, we have one, it's, we have one on apologetics, and so we, t- we train like a, a youth group or a Christian school uh, in apologetics, and then we take them to a place like Berkeley, California. 
and we go up there and we bring out atheists. We go on to Berkeley's campus, we talk to skeptical students, we go to the Unitarian Church, we talk to the Hare Krishnas. It's like anyone who doesn't believe what we believe, we want to talk to you. Yeah. And we put students in these situations to have those conversations. Yeah. And it's just, it's so awesome. Students just come to life and they realize, hey, I, I can defend the faith. But one of the other trips to help students um, know what they believe, to know theology, to know scripture, is we, we do training in that stuff. And, we, and we, we also do training in Mormonism. And then we take them to Salt Lake City, Utah. And they go talk to Mormon missionaries. They go talk to Mormon students at BYU. Uh, and um, we were there in Utah. I, we, we take trips every year, multiple yeah. trips. I've been but, trying to get on one, but my schedule hasn't allowed. Oh, yeah, you got to come in for one. I it's know. amazing. I know, dude. It's amazing. And students just get lit up. So we were on this one trip, and we were doing some touring in downtown Salt Lake City, and we were on a lunch break. So we went to this food court. We ended up, the group of college students there ended up, uh, just striking up a conversation with the guy who's waiting in line for his food. And he asks what we're doing. So the group tells him, and, you know, we're Christian missionaries. We're studying religion. We're talking to other people about it. And he's like, oh, no way. That's such a cool door to kind of just open it up with. Oh, yeah, we're yeah. Studying, we just want to talk to people about different religions. Absolutely. We want to dialogue about it. And, you yeah. know, the, the, the one thing that kind of takes people's guard down is we, we say, hey, we, we want to know what's true. If I if I'm believing something that's not true, I want to know. Yeah, I want to know. I don't yeah. want to believe it anymore. Exactly. Hey, and then but the question is, well, how about you? If you were believing something that wasn't true, would you want to know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk. So we get talking to this guy, and he's been on this journey before we get to him yeah. of questioning his Mormon faith, and he's got all these questions, and we're like, oh, perfect. Let's and we sit down and talk with him and give him materials to read and follow up with him, get his contact info. A year later, we go back, we follow up with the guy, meet him at a restaurant, check in, see how he's doing. And this is what he said. He said, you know what? I've, I've come to the conclusion that Mormonism is absolutely false. He's like, Joseph Smith is a, uh, is a fraud. Uh, I looked into this historically. It, ha- it holds no weight. I-, I don't believe this stuff. But I'm not going to walk away. Like, what well, the heck? Yeah, well, well, why not? Well, he said, because if I walk away, my wife will leave me, and then she'll take the kids, and um, and she'll take the kids. And you know what? Mo- almost all my friends are Mormons, and my business associates are Mormons, no and they'll disown me. I'll lose everything. I'll lose my friendships. I'll lose my family. I can't do it. I can't do it. And, uh, you know, I, we heard that, and it was heartbreaking. And, you know, part part of us as human beings, we totally understand that and com- our compassion on that. Yeah. But what it shows you is that his decision wasn't based merely on intellectual reasons. There's another reason that was preventing him from throwing off the false ideas of Mormonism and embracing the true ideas of Christianity. And it wasn't intellectual; it was emotional. It was psychological. Yeah. You know, and that what that that does is it helps us to see, gosh, we make decisions, we believe things on the basis of emotion. I think a lot of us yeah. are more emotional than we even realize, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, before I got, you know, I, I used to think I was just this super logical guy, right? Oh, yeah, I really, you know, I'm all about the truth and logic, and, and then I got married, you know? And mm-hmm. that revealed to me how emotional I am. So I don't know about you, Ryan, but uh, my yeah. wa- my wife and I we get into fights. Yeah. We, yeah. Uh, you do? Yeah. Wait, I thought you were a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, um, that happens. We get into some arguments. Oh, and then have kids. Yeah, it's it really exciting. Yeah, <laughs> spicy it complicates it, right? Um, oh man, we get in, and my wife and I were both stubborn, strong-willed. Yeah, and we get in these fights, and we're arguing back and forth. And you know, I, she did something, I'm hurt, or I did something, she's hurt. Yeah. So what happens is it's it's not just talking through the details; it's like emotions are going. Yeah. And they're going. And, yes. And but there are times where we're talking about the details. Well, you did this, and you said this, and no, it was you know. And there have been times when. In the middle of the argument, like emotions are high, in the very middle of the argument, I will have this thought pop into my mind yeah. as we're talking, like, oh my gosh, she's right and I'm wrong. You know? And it's like, it's this rational reflection. She's right, I'm wrong. Now, think about, okay, well, what, what do I do with that situation? Like when I realize in this argument, my wife is right and I'm wrong. I, I say, oh, honey, pause, pause. No, Wait. no, no, you don't. Say, I'm you just keep, you just keep making her think she's wrong. No, I just, <laughs> no, you're, no, you're right. I was gonna, I was gonna joke. I'm like, oh, honey, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I just realized I'm wrong and you're right. Oh, please forgive me. Right? No, we don't do that. We go stubborn meals. Nope. Yeah, I, I can. I, I, I mean, there's that self talk in your head. Yeah. Like, yeah, she's right and I'm wrong. You know, I don't care, man. I'm I'm hurt, you know. Uh, and what what happens is your emotions override your rationality. Mm. Like rationally, I know she's right and yeah, I'm wrong, yeah. but emotions are saying, "Nope, yeah. I'm not going to go there. I'm not even I'm not going to admit it. I'm not going to admit it." And that's the power of emotions. And so, I I think this those are really important things to consider because I think a huge source of doubt for a lot of people are the emotions. Yeah. And I think emotional doubt can be more powerful than intellectual doubt. Man, your emotions are raging. You're just overcome with all kinds of emotions. So, I mean, emotional doubt can be caused by the hurt and pain we've experienced. So if if you've had some tragedy happen in your life, you might take that and the painful experiences, and you take that and then you look at God and you're like, God, why? Why would you do this? Why would you allow this? Yep. You know, and reason. and I'm mad at you, and I'm angry, and I'm bitter. Yep. You know, um, I, I that's for me personally that happened to me. You yeah, know, in, a, in a situation where I went through a, this abortion and divorce when I was younger, and I mm. just, dude, that was it. I was just so I didn't want nothing to God. How could you? Why would you? Yeah. What the heck? And that, yeah, that's that's definitely a common one. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's just, I mean, there's millions of stories out there of people who are hurt. They've been wounded. Yep. They're, they're struggling with anxiety, uh, depression, yep. suicidal thoughts, yep. bitterness. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff is churning Anger. in their soul. And, and, and what we do is we take that and then we aim it at God. Yes. And we push God away. And we're like, God, forget you. I'm running away from you, man. I, I don't want anything to do with you mm-hmm. because of our hurt. Mm-hmm. And now oftentimes it will first disguise it with intellectual stuff. Like it'll come out because n- typically people aren't, it's tough to be vulnerable and to yeah, say so they're not ru- they're not wearing their emotions on their sleeve, so they yeah. begin with the intellectual first. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's not, it, it, because it, it, it's painful to say, you know what, I feel hurt by God. Yeah, you know, we don't want to go there, so we say, oh well, the Bible's got all these problems, or yeah. you know, there's no evidence, or science says this, and that actually is a way to protect ourselves emotionally. But what's really going on is hurt and pain, and I I think we the tip off is that when people get upset talking about God. 
or talking about religious mm-hmm. things or talking about Christianity, when they start getting upset, that's a tip off that, oh, here come the emotions are bubbling yeah, up. And that probably it's emotional doubt that's really uh, driving this. This is what I want to do. We're going to be going to break in a minute, but I want to plug a couple of things. First of all, Brett Kunkel from Maven. Is it Maven Ministries? It's Maven. It's, it's Maven. Maven. Brett Kunkel from Maven. Uh, check out their website. What Maventruth.com. And check out their YouTube as well because they got a bunch of sick videos up there for you to grow uh, deeper in your faith. And he has two past shows on our app or on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can look them up. Those shows were off the hook as well. Um, we are doing a video premiere for our Kill the Noise Whosoever uh, tour to Puebla, Mexico. It's Sunday, March 15th at 5 p.m. Sunday, March 15th at 5 p.m. at Calvary Chapel Diamond Bar. We're going to have a party. We're going to premiere the video. What God's been doing on these tours, people don't believe us. So I had to take a videographer on tour to show people, to edit it and bring it back home, to inspire, to activate people. Just like Maven Ministries is doing, they're activating people, kids. We want to activate this next generation to go out and bring the gospel, the truth, and lead as many people to the Lord. That's, June, uh, that's Sunday, March 15th. At 5 p.m. at Calvary Chapel Diamond Bar. It's going to be the Kill the Noise premiere. Get there. It's free. Come one, come all. Um, also, if you want to uh, support the movement, go to the whosoevers.com. We got products. Uh, you can donate. We just came out with a brand new uh, slip-on shoe that looks pretty fresh, real fresh for your feet. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it just we're not a brand. It's, we're a movement, and it supports what we do for the Kill the Noise High School Tour. So we'll talk to you guys in two minutes after the break. More live with Ryan Race coming up. Is everything all right? Sure. Call now. 1-888-564-6173. Or post your questions using the hashtag LiveRyanReese on his Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Uh, I think I speak for the entire administration when I say whoop-de-doo. Now, back to Live with Ryan Reese. Don't say we didn't warn you. Loud noises! Right, we are back with uh, Brett Kunkel from Maven. Um, they actually get students together, they disciple them, they activate them, they take them to like Berkeley or different areas where there's different religions and atheism, and they uh, put them in these scenarios to, to just um, to defend their faith, to learn how to defend their faith, because this culture, uh, no one knows how to defend their faith in the Christian world. Just be by faith. Yeah. That's not good enough out there. No. We no. have to be discipled. We have to be able to defend the Word of God. And not not run from people, not come against people, but we have to basically know what we believe. Yeah, and what that First Peter three fifteen verse, yeah, yeah, quote it that says, one. you know, uh, that we are to make a defense, you know, uh, to give a reason uh, for the hope that is in us. But then it says, uh, but do so with gentleness and respect, right? It. So when we make a defense, when we give those solid answers and reasons. We also do it with gentleness and respect because uh, the truth isn't just something we know. It's also something that transforms us and we live it out. Mm -hmm. And so uh, your life is an apologetic as well. Uh, And and, and I think sometimes in the church, we we say things like, well, yeah, you just, just live it out and just love people. And that's really all you need. 
Well, number one, that's not consistent with the New Testament because we're commanded to also, you know, give a rational defense. We're to give okay, answers yeah. when people ask them. Yeah. Um, number two, there there are people in other religions that are really nice that can seem really loving, like people, you know, my Mormon friends, yeah. hey, very loving. And so then people go, well, what's what's okay? You're all, you're just all religious, and that's why you're nice. It's nothing unique about Christianity. Yeah. No, what we have to do is we have to be loving, be kind, be gracious, be warm, you know, all that good stuff, and at the same time also be smart and intelligent and rational and bring those two together. And I think when you have Christians who go back into this world who know their stuff, who are smart, can give a reason why they believe what they believe, can answer the why questions, and mm-hmm. who are the most loving kind people, that right there is a powerful witness. Like, And I think that that's one of the problems is that people go in and they're all like, well, I am I know it's my way or the highway, and they come off like, well, no, it's like this. Well, you know what? It's not like that for those people. So if you want to create a relationship, why don't you start by being cool and love people and talking about truth and that dialogue, that conversation, that relationship, yeah. and then see where it goes. I mean, no one wants to be told what to do. And like, no, you're wrong. I'm right. And I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah. It's you both. Know, it's you're both going pieces. to hell. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, um, you know, we need that full picture. Yeah. But I think when we're engaging with uh, someone who's struggling with doubt or unbelief, yeah. it's really helpful to understand where they're coming from. Uh, in fact, there was a, an article I read online by a philosophy professor a number of years ago. I think you can still find it if you uh, do a search for it, but his name is Crispin Sartwell. He's a professor of philosophy at uh, Dickinson College. Mm -hmm. But he wrote this piece called Irrational Atheism. Mm -hmm. And the the subtitle was like, not believing in God isn't always based on reasoned arguments, and that's okay. Right? Irrational atheism. And what he says basically in the article is that Hey, you don't necessarily need arguments against God or religion or whatever. He's like, you just look at the world around you and bad stuff happens, and that's enough to not believe in God. Because and, and then he kind of shares some of his own personal experiences. Like he had a brother who was murdered. He had a brother who committed suicide. He himself struggles with uh, substance abuse and anxiety, and bad things have happened. And he says his choice— uh, the, the phrase he uses in that article is like, I choose to keep faith with the world's indifference. So rather than think, hey, there's a good God out there who's letting this happen, mm-hmm. he just thinks, well, no, the world doesn't care. The world's indifferent, right? It doesn't care mm-hmm. because the world's not personal. And crap happens, then you die. Mm-hmm. And that's how he copes with it. But what that, again, that's a great example of someone who is not it's not the intellect that's driving it's the emotional stuff it's the bad oh, stuff yep. you know it's the stuff that's what's driving that's him emotional, that's yeah. why he's like it's okay it's that it's irrational life sucks you know and and i'm not going to believe in god and so i think for um people who are out there who are struggling with doubt you got to be honest with yourself like is it really intellectual stuff or, or is it emotional is yeah have you been like hurt are you in pain and and i think here's a key question to assess this the, 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 you can ask the question, does my doubt hurt? If your doubt hurts, it's, it's most likely an emotional source, a psychological source, mm-hmm. right? And um, uh, I, I remember talking to a guy on—it was, it was on the campus of the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. 
And we're doing some survey stuff with Christian students going around talking to, you know, skeptics or whatever, non-Christians, and just doing some surveys and getting into conversations. And so I go up to this guy. I'm like, hey, you know, uh, you got a few moments for a survey. And I could see he kind of stepped back. (laughs) The guard comes up. His face kind of wrinkles up. And he's like, well, what's this about? You know, it's real skeptical kind of tone. And I said, well, we were just talking about religion and morality. And he's like, you know what? And then I can see his the kind of the, the anger starting to yeah. come out. He's like, "Let me save you some time. I'm a I'm a, a agnostic moral relativist." And he tries, you know, he starts walking away. I'm like, "Oh, hey, well, can we talk to you?" And so we, he he engaged with us a little bit, but right from the get go, he, he was just ticked. Yeah. yeah, he was ticked. And it later came out that there's some bad things that happened in his life, and he was he was pissed. Yeah, I mean, he was angry at God. Yeah, and. Uh, yep. And so if that's the case, whether it's you or me or, or, or whether it's a friend, to, to identify that source is huge uh, because then that tells you, hey, it's not just about me answering their questions. I got I to gotta love this person well. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, I may need to just sit back and listen. Yeah. Sometimes Christians are not good at that. Just to patiently listen because they want to close deals, and you can't. It's not about closing deals; it's about oh man, opening I, the I, door. I hate that phrase when people use it in terms of the gospel. You yeah. know, it's like closing a deal; like yep. it's a tra- like it's merely this transaction. Exactly, and you know no. that you, you know the majority of the the world are like atheists, and then they're like, yeah, they just want to close deals on this. Yeah, they just want to get a notch. You know, yeah. uh, you know, mark me off, and and I'm just a project. Yep. No, they're, they're a real human person. And this is where Christians need to step back and go, you know what, if it takes a year for just me to sit and listen yeah. to my friend and let them, let them actually even rage against God, express their anger against God, yeah. and then just to sit back and be, be a container for that. Say, hey, yeah, pour it in right here, man. I'm, I'm here yes, with you. I'm going to walk dope. with I love you. That. And I'm going to listen. I'm not going to get defensive. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to start jumping on you at this point. You know, I, I'm just going to really just listen and be there and, and maybe get to the point where that you know that emotion comes out in all of its fullness where then the person is you know they spill out their anger but then they also sp- spill out their sorrow and their tears and they cry and they weep over it you know yeah. and then I'm going to be there and but if at the beginning of that that you know them sharing what's going on you start shutting them down that's it they're not you're never going to get to that stage yep. And uh, and so it's like it's like it's like uh, I talked to my wife about this. It's like an onion. You're peeling back the on- layers of the onion, right. exactly. You know, or like the artichoke. I guess. Yeah. I guess it's more like an artichoke. Yeah. Until you get to the heart of the artichoke, but it to get to the core, it takes What's time. The, it well, takes time to peel peel back. Yeah. You want to get to uh, the the core of the main issue. Yeah. And sometimes that takes a week. Sometimes it takes a month. Years. Sometimes that years. takes a year. Yeah. You know, and it's like how how. How much do you love someone yeah. that you'd be willing to walk with them for a year, two years, five years? You know, I just talked to a lady a while back, and she said she's a Christian. Um, her dad was an atheist. She said she prayed for her dad for 30 years, and he's now in his 80s, and he just came to Christ after 30 years. That's, that's love, yeah. and that's patience. Yep. You know, and uh, and that's the kind of love and patience we need to have with people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so especially when it comes to emotional doubt, because there's no quick solution on that. Uh, you know, here's so here is here's another example of this. It's I think, the third I, one, right? No, well, this is this is still the second emotional okay. doubt, but I think I just I think it's helpful for people to to think about the kinds of things that might cause them emotional doubt. Yeah. 
Uh, there's a, a psychologist at New York University. His name's Paul Vitz, V-I-T-Z. Smart dude, wrote a book called Faith of the Fatherless, The Psychology of Atheism. Fascinating book. What he does is he looks at these great atheists of history, and he says, is there anything really in their lives that kind of link them? Is there anything that's similar that might help us to think, oh, here, okay, if God is real, then that means atheism is false. I think it's I think we have clear evidence that God is real, so yeah. atheism is false. If atheism is false, then the question becomes, well, why does an atheist believe it then if it's false, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and so we can demonstrate it's false. Then we can ask the question, well, why would someone believe something that's false? Why would they deny the truth? And what Vitz does, he looks at all these atheists, and what he discovers is that these atheists in history all have something in common, typically. Almost every atheist has some broken relationship with their father. Really? Yeah. So these atheist, great atheist philosophers, you know, dad dies when they're a year old. Or a guy like Karl Marx, you know, prominent atheist. Or Sigmund Freud. Uh, These guys, their biographers make it clear they had no respect for their dads, had low regard for their dads, just a totally low opinion of, of their dads. Right, and it's atheist after atheist after atheist. There's a story where there's some breakdown in their relationship with their dad, and so I, I remember reading this and then thinking, "Oh gosh, I wonder about my own atheist friends." You started asking, and I, just as I yeah. got to know them, yeah, yeah. I would come to find out, yeah, my one friend Phil, dad abandoned his family before he was born when his mom was pregnant with him. Uh, another buddy, Mark, he told me a few years back. He said the best thing his dad ever did for him was die. Wow. Just, and that just represents all the pain he yeah. had. Yeah. Atheist after atheist after atheist. I, I remember giving a talk on this topic uh, to a group of high school students, and I knew one of the kids in the, in the group was an atheist. Mm-hmm. For like the, the first two days of this conference I'm speaking at, he's just sitting there, his arms crossed, he's angry with me, he's giving me dirty looks. And uh, by the second day, I gave this talk, and then there were a couple students who were coming up to ask me questions, and I could see he got in line. I'm like, oh, great, oh, this guy's going to tear into me, right? And, um, and he, wa- he walks up, and it was kind of a change in demeanor. And he goes, you know what? This talk totally helped me understand myself. He goes, I'm an atheist, but you know what? I hate my dad. Damn. He's like, my brother, he hates my dad because my dad has abused us. We just hate him. And he goes, I have my eight girlfriend. She's an atheist. And you know what? She hates her dad too. Her oh. dad abandoned her, and and uh, and it just his it, it opened his eyes to the fact that yeah, his atheism wasn't driven by emo or by intellectual stuff. It was driven by his emotion, his deep hurt and woundedness because his dad had let him down. And he's thinking, well, if my earthly dad is a jerk, well, why would I want a heavenly father? Yeah, exactly. You know, and 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 what he did is he ran away. Now, that doesn't mean everyone who, who struggles in their relationship with their dad yeah. is going to walk away. I know what you're saying. What it causes some people to do is it causes them to run to God. Like, mm-hmm. my earthly dad let me down, and so I'm going to run to God. And that's the exact response that God wants. Is God wants you to turn to him, not run from him, but turn to him. Bring all that pain and yeah. that hurt and lay it at his feet and, and, and rage against him a little bit and say, God, here's where I'm hurting. You know, Ask the why question, mm-hmm. uh, but take it to him. And because ultimately the, the solution is finding healing and hope in God himself. He's the only one who can redeem pain. He's the only one. I mean, think about it. If atheism is true, 
Mm-hmm. There's no there's no hope for your pain. No. Life sucks. It gets hard. And then you die. That's it. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's hopeless. Hey, it is hopeless. Zero hope. It's yeah. true because you can be in situations in life um, and, you know, just storms you go through in life and you could see it could look hopeless in the natural realm. Mm-hmm. Even with the doctors, you know, they're like, you know, no medicine, no money, no doctors, no procedure could help you. There's no hope. Yeah. But with Christ, you're like, well, he can do whatever he wants. So you always have that hope. And that's the beauty of a relationship with God versus. Yeah. yeah and one day he's going to come back and he is going to make all things right. He's yeah. going to make all things new. He's going to restore it all. And he's going to he's going to uh, he's going to wipe away every tear. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and that's the hope of a glorious future that is waiting for all of us who Everyone. put our trust in him. Well, we have 10 minutes left. Yeah. So and I know you got one more. Yeah, we got to hit this last one because right. I know that there are people uh, out there listening who are going to they're gonna, this is going to really I think hit home with them. Well, all dude, all this stuff's been epic so far. So good. Well, this the third category of doubt is what I would call moral doubt. Moral doubt. So you might not question God's existence. It, maybe it's not because of hurt and pain. Instead, it's actually your unbelief and your doubt is caused by your sin. And so you are choosing to live life against God's moral laws. Because of your sin. Yeah, it's, it's your own personal sin. And so, like, when I, you know, a, a kid comes back from college, like, they grew up in our youth group, whatever, they go to college, they come back, and they're like, you know what, I don't know if I believe in this God stuff anymore. Uh, I'm tempted to ask, and sometimes I will ask, depending on how well I know the kid, yeah. my first question is, okay, well, uh, how long have you been sleeping with your girlfriend? Yeah, exactly. You how know? many keg stands have you done, and how much sleeping with your girlfriend? I, exactly. And they're <laughs> like, well, how did you know? It doesn't you know? line up. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, because, because what happens is, uh, and, and the Bible makes this connection all the time, our sin leads us to deny true things. This is Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 18, 19, 20. 19 and 20 tell us God's existence is clearly evident in the natural world. Like science, the natural world, the universe, all point to God's existence. The evidence is clear. But then verse 18, it says, what do we do with that, that knowledge? It says we suppress or we deny, we, we push down that truth in unrighteousness or in our sin. Right? So this goes all the way back to the garden. Think about it. When Adam and Eve disobey God and God confronts them on it, what's the first thing they do? They don't, they don't own it. They bounce. They, they're like, they suppress it. Yeah. Oh, no, here's my reason. Here's my excuse. And we suppress it. That's, that's our tendency, to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So when we're living in sin, oh, that's great motivation to say, yeah, yeah, I don't know if there's a God out there. Because if there is a God, he holds me accountable. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I can deny him, I'm not accountable to anyone. You except to change anything. Yeah, yeah, I'm not accountable to anyone except myself. I make yep. the call. You know? Yeah, so true. And so this Dang. is where you'll see someone who's struggling in sin, uh, they start, they, sometimes they slowly start slowly walking away from church, you know, um, or they'll, they'll start bringing up the intellectual stuff to give them cover. But really what's driving it is their sin. It's the sin. Yeah. And I think um, atheists have been real open and honest about this stuff. Uh, there's a book called What's So Great About Christianity?, there's a chapter in there that's worth, worth the price of the book. It's an older book, but uh, in this book, uh, chapter 23 is called Opiate of the Morally Corrupt, Why Unbelief is So Appealing. 
Like, why would unbelief be appealing? And he lays it out. And he quotes atheist after atheist after atheist who say, at the end of the day, it's because I want to do what I want to do. And particularly, they identify sexual morality as the thing they want freedom in. It's, I want to be able to do what I want to be able to do sexually. I want that freedom. And, uh, and if there is no God, I got that freedom. And I think that's what you see in our culture, in American culture. Think about, uh, you know, an older generation, they look at the culture today and go, oh my gosh, it's so sexualized yeah. versus 30 or 40 years ago. Not that there weren't issues there. I think yeah, yeah, a, no. you know, I think all just, of humanity. It's just more out in the open now. Yeah, it's, just, it's so much more sexualized. It was all there. But and there's, a, there's this corresponding move away from God unbelief in the culture, the secularism, this idea that, hey, life without God is, is you know, perfectly fine. And, and so now what we see is a change in our views on sexuality. And, um, and so cast off God, I can do what I want. Right. The problem is, if, if God is real and true, and His laws are real and true, meaning they're part of the furniture of the universe, like they're built into yeah. the universe— there's a moral reality that you'll never be able to escape. And, and you and I, if we're made by God, we are made to, to function or to live in a certain kind of way, and if we live outside of that, we're going to break down. It's kind of like, think about your, your, an appliance at home. Mm-hmm. I got a washing machine. My washing machine does a really good job of washing my clothes. Well, what, imagine if I'm in my garage where my washing machine's at, and I turn around, and I'm like, Man, all my tools are so dirty. Hey, this washing machine's going to work. Let me I throw all my tools in the washing machine. What's going to happen in the washing machine? Right? It's going to break down yeah. because now I'm I'm using it in a way it wasn't designed mm-hmm. to function. Well, human beings if we're designed, we are designed to function in a certain way and if we don't function that way, we'll break down yeah. in various ways. Yeah. And so sometimes if my, you know, I've had friends who have strayed from God because they want to live their own life. And sometimes there's nothing you can say to that person. You know, I think some if someone has identified themselves as a Christian and they, 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 they start, you know, walking a path of sin, yeah. it's one, one of the most loving things to do is call them on it, mm-hmm. right? Confront them on it. Uh, sometimes they don't respond. And what do you do at that point? Well, sometimes then you sit back and you wait and you yeah. let reality take its toll. Yep. Because I know if you function in a way you're not supposed to function, whether it's sexually or whether it has to do with money or whatever you know, sin you're involved with, you, your life will eventually break down. Yep, sooner or later. And, uh, and so then we sometimes have to sit back, wait for someone to get to the bottom of the barrel, right, before they say, hey, I need help. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then... Um, then we, you know, we help them see, hey, even though you walk away from God with your sin, I mean, God wants you to run to him. Again, you know, that's what sin is, right? Let's run away from God, denying God. It's all running away from him when the real solution is to run to him. But even if you run away from him, he's always waiting. The gospel is always available. And, you know, as Paul says in Romans 8, hey, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ there's Jesus. None. And so I think the answer to this kind of doubt is embracing the gospel, mm-hmm. you know? And this is really our fundamental problem. It, it, it's, our, it's our sin, it's our rebellion against God, and uh, the solution is the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus and his restoration and his healing, and then his, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, right? The, 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 this is a big theological term that means him coming into our lives, invading our lives, and changing us 
for the good, taking away those old sinful desires and, and replacing them with, with his, a love of his law. Because I, I think it's important to maybe communicate to somebody, hey, when God says no to you know sex outside of marriage or when God says no to same-sex uh, relationships— it's not because he doesn't care about us. It's not because he's this mean dude. It's quite the opposite. Yeah, it's actually because he loves us. He knows how we'll best function. He wants what's best for us. And actually that no is a yes to something better, mm-hmm. right? It's like, what? Go ahead. Uh, here's an analogy. I think yeah. analogies help, right? Yeah. So I drive past 7-Eleven every day, mm-hmm. and I say no to 7-Eleven coffee. Like I do not go to 7-Eleven to get my coffee. I say no. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. Why? Because I'm going to go down the street I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Portola, Portola best coffee in Southern California, man, uh, and I'm gonna say yes to Portola coffee. So notice the idea is that I say no to something, not because and that's the end of the story. It's because I want to say yes to something better. Mm-hmm. In the same way, God's laws have a no component to them, where God says no, don't do this and don't do that, but they also have a yes component. God says, because there's something better for you. Mm-hmm. I want you to flourish. I want you to live life to its fullest. I want you to experience goodness and beauty and truth. And so that, so, we need to preach that. So with that said, go, piggybacking off of what you're talking about, you know, the commandments, you know, don't do these things. Well, I, they're, they're guidelines. They're, they're safety guidelines because, like you said, there's something better. God, if you go out and you have sex outside of marriage— just for you know, a situation you have to worry about STDs, getting a girl pregnant, random girl pregnant, or all these things. And then you have a life of a, a baby with a random girl that you just met and you're not in love. And then you just have this kid floating around. You're trying to deal with that whole situation. Then if you do get married, then you got to still deal with this other situation. And now you're married. But God has this whole thing lined up for you because like that coffee, he's like, why do you want 7-Eleven coffee? No. Dude, I got Portola chilling over here, and it's so good. But for whatever reason, that's I think that's the enemy's job. Satan is he likes to uh, he De- likes to deceive take, to deceive us and yeah. give us the easiest way out and think, oh well, it's just easy. You're you're just right here. Just just take it right now. Yeah, and yeah. not wait for. Well, God has this other thing if you just wait for it. Yeah, and, and it's amazing. Yeah, and that that helps us to see that God is a good. God. He is. He's a good God who wants to give us good gifts, mm-hmm. uh, but his laws are laws for a reason. They're, they are to protect us. So we don't break down. Yeah. And they're guidelines, they're laws, they're rules, because he loves us. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, what you, man, when you reach a point of maturity, you see that. And like as a parent, mm-hmm. I realize that. I got law, rules and laws for my kids because I want what's best for them. And in the same way, God wants that for us. Well, dude, God loved us, and that show was epic. Absolutely. So thank you, dude, for being on. Um, plug your uh, ministry so they get uh, find yeah, out online. So- book, book, Brent, book them. Okay. Maven <laughs> uh, is our organization. Uh, Maven is, some, is simply someone who knows the truth and seeks to pass that on to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, got some great resources out there, actually, for adults and students. I wrote a book called A Practical Guide mm-hmm. to Culture. For parents and adults and church leaders, and then we got a book out there for students called A Student's Guide to Culture, which deals with all the hot issues like gender identity and same-sex attraction and porn and casual sex and you know money and and uh, just to help young people navigate this uh, you know this this world. Get it, download it, buy it, purchase it, 
And uh, don't forget to come to the video premiere for the Whosoever's Kill the Noise Tour, March 15th at 5 p.m. at Calvary Chapel, Golden Springs. We're doing a tour video. It's going to be epic. Get there. Come one. Come all. It's free. Peace. This has been Live with Ryan Reese. To connect or find out more about Ryan, click on ryan-reese.com. Check us out next Saturday at 9 p.m. for Live with Ryan Reese. Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it, or did you only make it part way? I'm John Stonge, and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible, one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015, and every single day of the week, I read one chapter of Scripture, then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen. You can find it at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.